Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. It is me, Sham Gildamber the 26th. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to give you my review of the Art of the Dragonlance Saga source book. This is um, part history of the beginning of Dragonlance and how it was created, and part showcase of uh, the art itself and how the art evolved and sort of sketches went to full versions of uh, ma majestic paintings and such. Because this is a, a rather slim source book, this isn't going to be a very long and detailed um, review at all, but I did want to talk about a few different notes that I picked up, and it is a very quick read. So, you know, this is literally just sitting down for a little bit and you're, you're pretty much done. But there is still some very interesting information contained herein. And so that's where I want to sort of pick up and, and talk a little bit more about it. Before I do, I would like to take a moment and thank the members of this YouTube channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the link in the description below. You can always pick up Dragonlance Gaming Materials using my affiliate links as well. All that just goes to help this channel out and help me keep producing content that hopefully you keep enjoying. All right, so all that being said, this is... Uh, the Art of the Dragonlance Saga framed around the idea of that the saga was built by <laughs> Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, uh, Sue Wineland Cook. Oh, no, that's not true. Um, why didn't I write this down? <laughs> I can't remember now who the actual person was that uh, put this together. And um, Mary Kirchhoff, I think it was, actually. And that's not supposed to be moving as of yet. So let me get, why are you doing this? Okay, stay there. All right, I'm talking to PDFs <laughs> and images. So this was re-released January 1st, 1987. And the re-release version of this is really the only one that you're going to be able to find in the secondary market at all. Um, the original version, I believe, was originally sold at gaming conventions, and it sold out really quick. And since then, it was on the secondary market up until 87 when it was reprinted. And it was going for a lot of money. Hey, Goldman, how you doing? Hey, Chris, how you doing? And anyone else, what's your favorite Dragonlance painting if you're jumping in the conversation here? Anthony, how you doing, man? Um, but it was really hard to get a hold of. And so TSR realized that they could actually make a little bit of money, which they desperately needed. And so they reprinted it. And, of course, that's the version that everyone now has access to, including myself. I never had the original. Um, what I found very interesting about this is that not only is it showcasing the artwork, but it's showcasing Dragonlance as a setting from the very beginning on, from 87. And we all know that recollections change. And so every time anyone, including myself, references history on how Dragonlance came to be, we're referencing it from nowadays with all of the sort of collected information that we have from various interviews and stuff like that. But these interviews that we're sourcing it from are also recollections by the people themselves, which are inaccurate to say the least. The human memory is, is very, very short. And because perception is nine-tenths of reality, your version of a memory is going to be dramatically different than those who shared that same memory with you. How messed up is that? I've run into this with friends over and over and over again, and we argue to this day about what happened 25 years ago or so. I'm 100% certain my version is correct, and they are 100% certain that theirs is correct, and they are completely different. So, perception and memory is very, very 
dependent on when it's recalled and by whom it is recalled. And all of that is to say that the beginning of Dragonlance is not a cut and dry black and white thing. It is not just Tracy Hickman and Laura Hickman. I know they're often attributed to that. And it's certainly not just Margaret Weiss because she had very little with actually creating the setting itself. She was only brought in for Dragons of Autumn Twilight once the setting was already created. So you really have to look at the creative director at the time, with the, the lead of the team, which was Harold Johnson, who then asked the creative team, they call it the New Product Design Team, or NPD Team, to pitch a bunch of different ideas for new worlds that featured dragons. And Tracy Hickman's just so, you know, went through because of the steps they went, you know, how excited they got about it as a team and how they got uh, Larry Elmore involved in it. Again, I mention this because there are some legitimate points about the creation of Dragonlance that Tracy Hickman and Harold Johnson do not agree on, on how it came to be. The very first one was whose house they had a conversation at to start the whole ball rolling. Tracy Hickman's 100% sure it's his house and Harold Johnson's 100% sure it's his house. This is all in the art of the Dragonlance saga. So it's not like I'm extrapolating or trying to reimagine anything. This is straight up them explaining it and then arguing in the text about it. So it's very kind of funny. It also makes it a very interesting tale because then we realize, as with, you know, Star Wars is another great example of an IP that once we reflect back on it, we think, oh, it's always been this way. But if you've ever read the Star Wars archives, they were very different before they finished those films. And the stories changed con constantly. Even after the films were released, the story ended up being changed in some of them. So Dragonlance is just another IP that evolved over a long time by a lot of different people's input and sitting around in a room and arguing and laughing and joking and talking. That's how this stuff works. So the new product design team was really what formed Dragonlance, not just Tracy Hickman and Laura Hickman. Um, again, planning for Dragonlance started in May of 1983 in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Uh, originally, Dragonlance was called Eye of the Dragon. And again, I, I know this is like a Dragonlance history lesson, but that's how this is set up. The Art of the Dragonlance Saga is set up with this history lesson. So I, I just found it very, very interesting. And so they went, Harold Johnson and Trace Hickman went to Larry Elmore, who above and beyond any other amazing contributing artists, of which I'm going to name them all, and this is all going up to the 1.5 Advanced Dungeons & Dragons edition of Dragonlance, okay? Anything after that is not covered by this book, and so it is out of the realm of this conversation of a review. Um, but for the sake of this book and all of the mod modules that preceded it, all the source books that preceded it, and all the novels that preceded it, this is the totality of all the artists that I'm going to talk about here shortly. But Larry Elmore is the seminal artist. He was the one that did the original sketches. He was the one that got crazy excited and started designing things before anyone else ever got involved. And he was continually involved throughout the course of everything being done, all the way up until this actual volume, The Art of the Dragonlance Saga. And that's important to note because if we give any artist any more credit than anyone else, no one deserves it more than Larry Elmore. He's amazing. So when you think of Dragonlance, 
You may have specific images. Um, you know, for example, the one on the cover there, that's Keith Parkinson, I believe. Larry Elmore is the one that really defined everything. And he's the one that really sort of uh, headed off what the characters were going to look like and everything. And I'm going to show you here that in a second. And I want to show you, actually, now's a good time as any. I'll do it now. I'm talking myself into it. So these, and I know it's tiny and you can't really see it very well, but go buy the book because it's worth it. There's, it's a PDF on demand. You can get it in the link below. It is definitely worth it. But these original sort of concept renderings, uh, Larry Elmore did over one evening, I think they said, because he was so excited about pitching and he was so excited about the story. But it shows how much of the story they actually had planned originally. This was actually just going to be a four-module um, story. And they were going to end it at that. And then it just developed out into the, like the 16 that it ended up being. <coughs> Pardon me. Which I find very fascinating. And uh, it was just going to be the first four modules. And that was going to be the totality of the adventure. But people started loving it. And they loved making it. And it made money. So TSR loved them making it. <laughs> and so they just kept going. Uh, but you can see a lot of the story was already fleshed out. All the way to Tarsus and everything. And it's not in this particular one, but you can see stuff like, um, and of course I can't see it now because my eyes are so terrible and I'm looking at exactly what you're looking at. Um, you're what you're looking at people, uh, going the, the row of people leaving Pax Tharkas, the refugees. Um, you're looking at the end of the last home. Uh, you're looking at dragons. I mean, of course, you know, some of the original characters and here we get to see, and this is one that I'd forgotten all about, even while I've looked at this painting over and over and over again. That stone structure right there, so they're in Tarsus right now, right? So this is the, the plains of dust as they're traveling to Tarsus. That stone arc, archway right there, that's actually an ancient Sylvanisty road, an elevated road that Sylvanisty created way back before the Cataclysm in the Age of Might, I think, or maybe even before that in the Age of Dreams. But that road led all the way from Sylvanisty all the way through to Quilonisty, and even beyond, I think, actually. But the Cataclysm, of course, destroyed it, and so you can't actually travel on the top of that road. You have to then, of course, go across the bottom of it. But that's one element of Dragonlance that no one knows about, and if they do know about it, they never remember it. And that's a huge construction feat that, that that's, that's running across ancient ruins of a civilization that literally is lost because they went into isolationism, the Sylvanisty Elves. So no one knows anything about him. And all across the entire width, which almost spans a third of the entire continent of Ancelon, is this broken up ancient road. <laughs> that's amazing. That's exciting as hell. Like, if you're just a plain character running across the plains of dust, freezing your tukas off, trying to survive and find any sort of berries or fruits that grow on this sort of desolate plain, and then you run across a massive ancient road? <laughs> That's exciting. Never talked about. No one ever says anything about it. It's only found in source books. That's the only way you'd ever know about it. It's crazy. Yeah, Anthony, that's that's what is so great about this. This is a lived-in world, and it feels very lived-in. From And this is a concept sketch. 
This is before they wrote anything. This is just Tracy Hickman and Harold Johnson talking to Larry Elmore about the world and Larry Elmore going like, I'm doing this <laughs> and painting it up. So nothing has ever been written at this point, just concepts. So I just thought that was so amazing. They already had Lorak there. Of course, he's like all like emaciated, you know, touching the orb and stuff. You have uh, Ski and Kitiara uh, on the dragon. I mean, they had so much. Oh, this is actually the Blood Sea of Istar. Like in the lower corner of that image. How, how freaking cool is that? All planned out before they even did anything. Oh, I just loved it so much. Okay, so what's next? I did not mean to do that. I meant to do that. Uh, Theros Ironfeld, you have Draconians. Now, the Draconian evolution, which is portrayed beautifully in this Art of the Dragonlance saga, uh, because they had like five different artists rendering Draconians in five different ways. <laughs> and so they kept arguing about, well, should they have tails? Should they not have tails? Um, should they be standing more human-like or a little more hunched over dragon-like? Or, you know, I mean, there was just constant struggles about what it would look like and stuff. And of course, that's actually Flint in the big, like the big, uh, it's not a fedora, but uh, I don't even know what kind of hat that is. Just a, a feather plumed hat. He's looking all, um, well, he's looking like Doug and Redhammer actually looks like nowadays. But that's what he originally looked like. And I think in the center there, that's Silvara. But don't quote me on that because I'm not 100% sure. But I just love how it's constantly showing um, how much was fully developed before they ever really started creating it. Because this is, this is what they showed to pitch the world, to pitch the idea of the campaign world, to then make it. And they had it this fully developed in the new uh, product team, design team, before they started doing anything else. That's great. That's amazing. I love that so much. A pompadour? No, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know, maybe... Okay, so uh, what else here? Oh, here's something that's going to blow your mind if you guys didn't know this already. Oh, and then, of course, we have... Um, uh, well, I don't, I don't know. Is that supposed to be Huma's tomb? But it looks like a castle. So is that supposed to be like um, the High Clarus Tower? Or? I'm not entirely sure. Of course, we have the Flying Citadels coming to it. So maybe a little column A, a little column B. But um, pretty cool stuff. I really, really dig it. So here's something that's going to blow your mind. Dragons of Autumn Twilight had 100 extra pages. So it's just over 300 and, I don't know, 50, 40, 50, 60 pages right now. It had 100 extra pages that they had to cut. I want those 100 pages. I have got to know what was in those 100 pages that they had to cut from it because they didn't know if it would actually be received well enough. That's a 100 pages. That's a lot. That If you just break down Dragons of Autumn Twilight into three acts, that's 100 pages each. That's a whole act of Dragons of Autumn Twilight that we don't know of. Now, was it rolled into winter night later on i don't know but we do know that it's missing and it's gone from the original volume so it's just one of those things if you guys are in social media ask margaret weiss about it because i'm curious i'd really love to know and then you know do me a solid and shoot me an email or or comment to this and and it would be great cavalier hat all right that's cool um, in any case, I'm sure Inquiring Minds want to know 100 pages is a big deal when it comes to cutting content from a novel. I do know that they had originally planned on um, 
um, Waylorn Wyvern's Bane, whom you will only know this if you've read the modules or played through the modules because it's never mentioned anywhere else. But there's a druid that they run into in a tower in Sylvanesty called Waylorn Wyvern's Bane. He was going to be a big part of the novel. And the design of Fizban the Fabulous was actually for Waylorn Wyvern's Bane. And so he was going to be the look, you know, sort of like droopy old man with, you know, the Gandalf looking wizard type character. That was a druid that there was originally going to be a huge part of the trilogy. They ended up cutting him out and injecting um, Paladine. And I think it's Fizban, but I think it's interesting because Waylorn Wyvern's Bane in the novel, in the, um, oh my gosh, the modules, he had various re versions of reality. One of the versions of reality was that he was a druid. Another version of the reality was that he was Huma Dragonbane. Yeah. Waylorn Wyvern's Bane was Huma Dragonbane, like reincarnated or frozen on ice in the actual modules. And you go back to the original AD&D modules, it's right there in black and white. Pretty cool stuff. So, I mean, would, would Huma have played a role in the final battle against Tachesis? In the modules he did in certain variations. There's like five or six different variations of endings of the War of the Lance in the modules. There's only one, of course, in the novels. And so that was one of the endings. I did a whole video on it. You should check it out if you're interested. But, um, I mean, that was all planned to be a part of it, and then they ended up scrapping it. So maybe he was involved in that 100 pages. Maybe not. This is all speculation. I don't know. But I want to. I want to know. All right, so Harold Johnson made Kender. Found that out by this. Of course, anyone who's loved Dragonlance knows that by now. Trace Hickman made Tannis, Lorana, and Kitiara. Of course, that was brainstormed between um, him and his wife, Laura Hickman, as they came over to Geneva. Uh, Jeff Grubb made the gods and Raceland's hourglass eyes and golden skin because he just thought they looked cool. And Margaret Weiss had to figure out why. <laughs> why does he have the hourglass eyes? Why does he have the golden skin? And it was his portrayal, Jeff Grubb's portrayal in the role-playing sessions that gave Raceland his raspy, whispery voice. Because that's what Jeff Grubb did. He did it to command mystery and force people to lean in and pay attention to him. And it ended up working, and so they kept it. Pretty cool. All right, so the it's important because this art of the Dragonlance saga really highlights that the artists played as much of a role in fleshing out the characters as the writers did. And that's really important to note because, again, visually, if it wasn't for Larry Elmore, they would never would have been able to visually understand what this world looked like to sell it to TSR. And then... It was the cover of Dragons of Autumn Twilight that sold so many copies initially because it was so beautiful. You just didn't have that caliber of artwork in a Dungeons & Dragons or fantasy novel in that time. Usually they're like solid covers with a fancy looking title or something. But to have that striking artwork drew so many people in initially that we're constantly seeing comments on this channel about it. Even to this day, you know? So many, many years later. Uh, so we have to give credit to the artists because they're the ones that really, really sold Dragonlance as an IP. Um, and before I get to the list of the names here, Kryn Dragons were actually different than every other dragon in Dungeons & Dragons at the time. They looked different. They were portrayed different. They acted different. 
you know, dragons back in the day, they were kind of scary, but you could pretty much down them with a well-organized group because they were usually in dungeons. They weren't like flying around, blowing their breath weapon on you, then strafing back up into the sky where you can't reach them with your arrows. Uh, Dragonlance actually took dragons and made them scary as hell again. And they built up this whole mythology behind them because you start in the Dragonlance world where dragons are a myth. So when you finally run across one in uh, Zaxaroth, you're shitting your pants. <laughs> Because you're like, wait a second, you told me they were myths this whole game, or the, the past three games, and now we have to fight an actual dragon? You don't know how to fight them. No one knows how to fight them, because they haven't been around for a millennia. Like, that's great, great storytelling, great role-playing opportunity for characters just to poop their pants out of terror for seeing a dragon that shouldn't even exist. Ah, oh, it's so cool. All right, so um, by way of closing down this conversation, I just want to highlight the artist that really defined first edition Dragonlance. And that is Larry Elmore at the top, Clyde Caldwell, Dave Sutherland, Diana Magnuson, Dennis uh, Beauvais. Uh, I actually have a huge typo here. Jeff Butler, Keith Parkinson, Jeff Easley, Mark Nelson, Tom Yeats, Steve Fabian, and Valerie Valasek. Some of these were uh, illustrations that were in the modules or novels. Some of them are illustrations in game books. Some of them were illustrations in like Leads from the End of the Last Home and a combination of all of the above. And then some were those grand paintings that we all love that we identify as Dragonlance on just sight. You're just like, ah, oh, Dragonlance. That's just the majesty of this artwork. It, it, it's a little painful because the music was never fleshed out in as much. They provided sheet music and stuff. And if you're in a religion that celebrates singing hymns and stuff, you may know sheet music. If you happen to be a mu musician, then you know sheet music sometimes. I'm actually having a really hard time finding a doggone female singer that can read sheet music that's not going to charge me an arm and a leg to sing a dang song. A less than a minute long song. It's killing me. I've been looking for three weeks, reaching out to tons of singers, and none of them can either read sheet music or bring it down to a reasonable price. It's so stupid. So if you know anyone, hit me up. I'd love to know. Always looking for more collaborators musically. Um, and that's kind of it. So these, these artists really created Dragonlance in the way that sold it without us having to read a single word. And you have to tip your hat at the power of some of this imagery. I mean, at the very top, Chris was talking about Sturm's uh, The Death of Sturm. I have it right here. It's amazing. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, Lord Soth's Charge. God, that defined what Lord Soth would end up looking like from then on. Uh, that image, I think it was Parkinson, but mm, it might have been Caldwell, of the Draconians like marching through snow iconic imagery that you will forever identify as Dragonlance and always bring you right back to that nostalgia of first seeing it and first reading about it. And then you're just suddenly a kid again and the excitement, I mean, it takes hold of me. Just listen to this stupid diatribe I'm running on. So, I mean, this stuff is great. If you haven't read the art of the Dragonlance saga ever because you just look at the amazing imagery, do yourself a favor and read it because it's fascinating. If you've just read it and you haven't looked at the imagery in a while, 
do yourself a favor, revisit those sketches and those finished pieces that are uh, represented there. It's beautiful, it's fun, it's a massive drug of nostalgia flooding your system. It's great. <laughs> so my review is amazing. Check it out, buy it, love it, live it. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, Soth and Kitty are in the Grove trees. Hell yes, that's great. God, it's such a great image. All right, your favorite is the Companions print. That's a good one. Are you talking about the one that was on the Tales of Lance box set and the History of Dragonlance cover where they're all around that campfire? Because that's a great one. Uh, you see, if you find a singer, you'll message you. Oh, that would be cool. Thanks, Anthony. I appreciate that, man. Dragon Fear poops <laughs> has to be a thing. Oh, 100%. 100%. In the military, I've had, um, not really arguments, I've been yelled at uh, by uh, commanders where I have to clench or else I'm going to poop because there's just the, the, the stress of the moment and the insanity of it and you can't like punch them. So you just have to sit there and it's just like, oh my gosh, what the hell are they coming at me for? You know, you just have those moments where you're just like, all right, you know what? I'm going to, I have to master my bowels or else. Um, let's see what else. Uh, yeah, it was definitely a swashbuckler. So you got this book when you were in grade six. And it was and is fantastic. The Draconians in the Storm, Verminard, Laurent, Verminard especially, yeah. Uh, Laurent, the Death of Sturm, such good stuff. Hell yeah. Crin is a lived-in world. It's awesome. Elmore's paintings were always so vibrant. You love them. Absolutely. You think you like the one where Dalimar and Raceland are in the study? Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. You know what I really like because it's got a little touch of Lovecraft in it? Is the one, I think it was Clyde Caldwell that did it. I hope, because I just said it. But it's the one where he's in his um, seeing room that with the, the pool of seeing and the live ones are all around it. And they're all like twisted and, you know, sort of bubbly, monstrous looking creatures and stuff. I always love that idea of, because I'm a, massive Frankenstein novel fan. So, you know, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is arguably one of the best horror novels ever written and because it's really about just being human. And um, the idea of creation of life, you know, in the absence of God and creating life, what what's that process like? And is it a learning process? And clearly, even in, in Crane with, with uh, Raceland, he can't even perfect creating life, you know? And so he has all of these sort of mistakes living around him and they're just like tortured. I don't even know if they're souls, but creatures. And he's just like, yeah, move aside, Red. I, I need to look in my little pool here to, to spy on people. And they're just like, help me. Give me a Kit Kat. I don't know what they eat. Probably Kit Kats. It's Halloween. Kit Kats. <laughs> Your favorite alternative universe, Lorana defeated by Takesis. You think done by um, alternative units? Lorana defeated by Takis. Is that one where she's chained up with Draconians on her side and Takis is behind her? That's a great one, a hundred percent great. Uh, you think this book is a gnome story? It doesn't. Yes, this book has gnome inventions and like little notes of the original people drawing the gnomish inventions. They're great talking about how it works. There's like ones like here's a little plaque of of the person who made it and the people who built it and stuff. I mean, there's tons of little touches. Larry Elmore's notes on the dragon's saddle and the knight's dragon lance and how it all fits together is fascinating. 
it's all detailed out. He had to understand it in order to, to paint it because that's just how his brain works. And so he had to literally design it from scratch, including how when you're sitting on Dragonback, the shield that the lance goes through, you have to be able to tilt it on its axis and angle it. And so he had to design the actual met, met, uh, metal pieces in order to fit that way, even though you never see it in any drawing or painting, but he had to do it so that he could rationalize it in his head. What a great human. <laughs> what a great person. I love that. I love how those brains work. Um, you have this book and absolutely love it. You were fascinated by the Flying Citadels. Yeah, me too. Uh, a little surprised that they posed it as something ancient wizards did, but other books didn't talk about it. Yeah, I always found that really interesting too. It leads you, like I did a whole video on Flying Citadels, and I just scraped together information from Talada's and from, from Dragonlance and uh, Ancelon and stuff. But there is a lot of guesswork, because they do lead you to believe that there is a war in history where these things were originally created and used or the technology was originally created and used, and yet it is never discussed anywhere. And that's where you got to sort of realize that when fleshing out a universe like Dragonlance, you only have a certain amount of time to do it. And it's really only when you're getting paid. And so there's tons of stories where in annotations, uh, Tracy Hickman or Margaret Weiss will be like, we're going to revisit this in a future story to talk about. Never revisited, never explored again because they just didn't have the time to do it. So there's tons of information that still, even with the 200 plus novels that have been released, there's still more information that's alluded to in Dragonlance that's never actually fleshed out. That's how great this campaign world is. I love it. I absolutely love it. All right, Knights of Old, how you doing, man? I uh, just finished reading Chronicles and Legends to your nine-year-old. That's awesome. It's fun to share it with her. You haven't uh, read them since late 80s. Oh, that's great. I hope she dug them. Unless she fell asleep, then that's cool, too. <laughs> hey, Michael, how you doing? Jason, what's up? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, yeah, I'm actually um, closing this down here. I hope I didn't miss anyone else here. That Patrick, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in live. I'm going to give you guys a shout-out if you're going to spend time with me here. All right, that's kind of it. That's all I wanted to say. This is a great collection. Check it out. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Today starts my weekend, so weekend. And of course, next Tuesday is Halloween, so have a happy one, everyone. Get out there, be safe, and uh, indulge. <laughs> all right, till next time. Slange Bar.